everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Awesome. All right, I'm going to pray for us uh, before we jump into our time of learning about the story. Uh, so why don't you guys uh, bow your heads with me real quick. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to jump into what we're doing today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that I can come and uh, preach your word. I'm just so humbled to, to be able to do that. pray that you would give me the right words to say. I pray that you would uh, help me to stay humble. I pray that you would help me to interpret your word accurately. Um, I pray that you would uh, bless the congregation today. I pray that uh, you would uh, inspire them to apply what we learn through this message today. And I pray that we can show that unfailing love that you show throughout the story. We give you the glory and the honor. Bless the rest of the worship service. Amen. Okay, so I stumbled upon an article from uh, NBCNews.com. And this article was based on the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Sandy hitting New York and New Jersey. And they interviewed a 41-year-old man. His name was Kieran Burke. And this home was one of 130 homes that was burned in a fire that was sparked by uh, Sandy's floodwaters. They interviewed him, and this is what he said. I was here as the fire progressed. And to be quite honest, the experience of dealing with trying to get permits and the insurance was 10 times worse than any of that. So he said the rebuilding process was worse than the fire itself. There was a little adversity with his rebuilding process. We're in week 19 of the story, the return home. We see that Persia has taken over Babylon, and the new king of Persia is King Cyrus. King Cyrus is in the first year of his reign. And King Cyrus makes a proclamation based on the word of the Lord by Jeremiah. He says, I'm going to let all the Israelites go back home to their homeland. And on top of that, I'm going to let them rebuild the temple of God. And he said that any of the locals that live around any of these Israelites need to help donate supplies to rebuild this temple. Whether it's livestock, whether it's free will offerings, whether it's silver, whether it's gold. The king also said that he would take some of the articles that were from the original temple. These were the articles that Nebuchadnezzar took when Babylon was capturing Judah. And so there was 50,000 people in all that made this return home to Jerusalem. So they get there. They build the altar. They make the necessary sacrifices. They follow the necessary sacred holidays. And then they lay down the foundation for the temple. And the Levites and the priests are playing their instruments. And they're praising God. And they're singing, He is good. 
His love for Israel endures for forever, and they have Chris Tomlin as a leading worship person for this big event. And Zerubbabel is doing the slides. It's exciting. Don't read that in your Bibles. We're not preaching heresy today, I promise. So there's a party going on. I know some of you guys, when you were growing up, you threw parties at your house, and the neighbors got really ticked, right? Because you were causing a ruckus. They might have called the cops, or they might have knocked on the door about 12 times. I remember I was at my first ministry. I was at a town of about 650 people, and the average age was about 90. <laughs> and I was a rock and roll rebel. If you've ever seen School Rock, I stuck it to the man. I want to play some rock and roll. So one of my first big youth events was to have a rock festival in the middle of this town of 650 with the average age of 90. <laughs> so we had this, this truck trailer as a stage. Most of the church came out to support this event. We had 150 people out. I mean, it, it was a success for the most part until the very end. We said we were going to end at 10 o'clock. It was 10.01. Barney Fife, or the rent-a-cop that was there in the town, he comes over, and he says, one of the ladies already called the state police, because you guys are a minute over the time limit. She can't hear her TV. So I know what it's like to have neighbors bug you because you're causing a ruckus. So the Israelites are throwing their party. They're excited. But the neighbors aren't too excited. There's enemies of, you know, Judah. And there's Samaritans. And they're worried that their political powers can be overthrown if Israel establishes itself by rebuilding this temple. And even some of the enemies try to bribe some of the officials that are working on this project. And for six years, the rebuilding process gets messed up in some way or another. And the Israelites, they get tired of it. So they throw in the towel for 10 years. Till God speaks through a man named Haggai. And Haggai says, Why are you neglecting the rebuilding of the temple of God? Well, you guys are just comfortable, you know, in your homes. Why are you so discouraged? So they start rebuilding soon after that. And they get some encouragement from uh, Zechariah. Zechariah tells them that this temple is going to be something greater beyond themselves. It's going to be something they can't even wrap their minds around. God is going to show his glory in a different way through this new temple. And Jerusalem is going to be the holy city that it used to be. But then there was more opposition. The governor of Trans-Euphrates caused a ruckus. He wrote a letter to King Darius, who was ruling at that time. And the governor displayed his frustration. And King Darius replies, and he says, This temple is going to be built. 
and it's going to come out of your royal treasury, which is exciting, right, when you get that kind of news. But on top of that, if there's somebody that doesn't want to comply with this, they're going to be impaled upon a beam from their house. That's real exciting, too. And their house is going to turn to rubble. So, in a little bit less than 70 years, after the destruction of the first temple, the next temple is rebuilt. And the Israelites dedicate it. You see, with their rebuilding process, they had some adversity. And in our own lives, in our own spiritual lives, we have rebuilding too. You see, we're that temple now. Where the presence of God dwells. See, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And when we accept Jesus Christ, we allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of us. And there's a rebuilding process that's going on each and every day. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in our lives, we're sanctified, which means that we're in a process of becoming holier and holier every day. And we're growing closer and closer to God every day through being in touch with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that in Christ we're a new creation. The old is gone. So God is creating something new in us every day, where we're more holy every day, where we're growing closer to God through this rebuilding process that's going inside of us every day. But when we go through this rebuilding process, we're going to have some adversity. And there's a question that I need to ask you. Are you going to get complacent when adversity happens? When we turn in our Bibles to Haggai chapter 1, that we're going to look at uh, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It's amazing how they face a little adversity and all of a sudden it's not the right time to rebuild. You know, some of you get married and your marriage doesn't start out great. Oh, maybe it's not the right time to be married right now. Or, or maybe we start a new health plan and we want to get in shape. It gets a little rough at first. We face a little adversity, and we're like, okay, I'm going to give this up. Maybe this isn't the right time right now. You know, when we decide to accept Christ, and we become that temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, we're going to face some adversity. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face some spiritual warfare. But time is not on our side. I got some news for you guys. You're dying. You've been dying since the day you were born. 
We don't know when our last day is. So the time needs to be right now. There's a theologian named Steve Miller that says time keeps on ticking into the future. Time is ticking into the future. There's another theologian named Cher that said if I could turn back time. If. Key word. So even some of the biggest musicians know that time is valuable. Time is not on our side. What you do today determines tomorrow. So what are you doing with your life today? You know, we all have an appointment with death. The only problem is we don't have a secretary calling us up, reminding us when our appointment is. Like one of those secretaries at like the dental office or the, the doctor's office. I know some of you guys have been to like revivals. Or some of you guys have been to church services, you know, where there's an evangelist. And he's like, you know, some of you guys, you know, might be hit by an elephant that drops through the ceiling, you know, and you might die today or you might, you know, walk two feet out the door and get run over by a car. You know, we, we laugh at that stuff sometimes because we think they're crazy, but, I mean, there's some validity to that because, I mean, you know, life is so precious, we don't know when it's going to get taken away from us. It could be two minutes from now. It could be two seconds from now. This is what James 4, 13 through 14 says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there. Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We shouldn't be making so many plans for the future. We shouldn't say, well, I'm going to put that off for a little while. I'll do that down the road. Because we're a mist that appears for a little while. And then we vanish. How many of you guys like alarm clocks? Alarm clocks drive me crazy. They're, they just have an annoying sound. You're crazy tired. And you don't want to hear an ah, ah, ah as the first thing in the morning, right? One of those cool alarm clocks is one of those like monkey alarm clocks that have the symbols. You know, that goes like that. Those are awesome. How many of you guys love to hit snooze about like 20 times? I'm one of those people. When I was in college, I slept on the top bunk and there wasn't any access to the ladder where we put our, our bunk, so I had to, like, jump off the bunk every day. So I had to worry about not breaking my ankles and then turn the alarm off. <laughs> my roommate was ready to kill me because he's like, would you turn that thing off? I get to sleep in for another three hours, even though you've got to get up right now. But I, I'm like, I better make it, I better make it, I better make it. So I had to maneuver away where I'd land perfectly, and I had it down to a science after a little while. But I think God is constantly trying to wake us up when we face adversity through rebuilding, when we get complacent. But we like to hit snooze a lot. We're like, God, okay, I'll do this later. Then he tries to wake you up again. Okay, God, I'll do this later. Then he tries to wake you up again. God, I'll do this later. Until it's too late. When are you going to respond to those wake-up calls? 
Because you don't know when your last day is. We go on to Hebrews 1, verses 3 to 4. Or Haggai 1, 3 through 4, sorry. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You see, the Israelites were content with their own homes. They were content with their possessions. They were content with everything in the world. And it made them complacent. It made them comfortable. It gave them a false sense of satisfaction. It gave them a false sense of of peace and fulfillment. But they were neglecting the temple. Haggai, you know, Give us a message that God told him to give. And he says, you guys, you need to wake up. You're getting so comfortable with everything in this world. But I want you to wake up. I want you to realize there's a temple that needs to be built. Because there's going to be a future with this temple. This temple is going to foreshadow things that will blow your mind. For the future of God's people. See, so many of us. We find our identity in accomplishments. We find our identity in our possessions. We're so caught up in the things of this world. You know, the Bible says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Where is your heart? What is your heart treasure? And when we get so content in the things of this world, we neglect the temple, which is our bodies, where the Holy Spirit dwells. We don't draw near to God so he can draw near to us. We don't stay in step with the Spirit. We don't draw life from the Spirit. We're connected with the flesh, which counts for for nothing. We're chasing after things that don't fulfill us. We're chasing after things that don't give us peace. Do you realize that your body was bought at a price? This body is not your own. It's a loner. Jesus paid way too big of a price that we can never match. for this temple. Are you taking care of the temple? Are you staying in touch with the Holy Spirit? Because you're not staying in touch with the Holy Spirit. You're not staying in touch with the temple. We tend to let our health slide. We tend to let our finances slide. We tend to let our mind slide. We tend to let our our eyes look at things that they shouldn't be looking at. We tend to let our hands do things that they shouldn't be doing. Because everything is owned by God. And when we're not in touch with the Spirit, 
and we're not taking care of the temple, we're vulnerable. Because our complacency leads us to laziness from our contentment with the things of this world. Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan, says that we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes like it's on the JV team of the Trinity. You have the Father, you have the Son, and then you have the Holy Spirit over here. We're going we're gonna to interact with the Father. We're going to interact with the Son. But the Holy Spirit's cool, but we're not going to hang out with the Holy Spirit. We got the Father. You know, we got the Son. It's okay. It's all right. When we live this life of reckless abandon, we also have to realize that evil is going to be right there with us. Paul says in Romans 7 that even though I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Just because you have Christ in your life doesn't mean that evil goes away all the time. Evil is right there working. Just as much as the Holy Spirit is working, Satan's working too. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble. Nobody said that this Christian life was going to be easy. And when we battle adversity from persecution, when we battle adversity... from losing, you know, our reputation. It's easy to be vulnerable to a lot of different temptations and a lot of different sin. Let's go to uh, Haggai verses 1 or chapter 1 10 to 11. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I call for a drought in the fields, in the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, wherever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. See, God had to do something to get everybody's attention. God had to look at what was making everybody content, and he saw it as a distraction. He had to take it away. He had to bring a drought on the land. I think sometimes God has to allow us to be at a point where he takes things away so we can focus on him, so we're not distracted. Or I think sometimes God gives us experiences to get our attention about what's distracting us. And that looks different for everybody. I can give you an example in my life. Uh, I was uh, in one of my first ministries, and, you know, when I was early in ministry, I was a big people pleaser. That's all I cared about was pleasing people, you know. And you have the pressure to do that when you're a little bit younger and you're starting out. You're trying to build rapport with people. But I remember I had this big year review that was, that was 
coming up, and I was fretting it, you know, because our numbers were a little low. You know, in some churches, it's all about numbers, you know. And uh, I remember that, you know, the, the year review went okay. You know, but, you know, I still, you know, was just feeling uneasy about the whole situation. You know, I was still worked up about being a people pleaser. So about two days later, me and my buddy, we, we hop in, you know, my car. We go visit his family in central Illinois. And uh, it was snowing outside, but we didn't, we didn't think it was really that bad. So we started driving on a big interstate in, in central Illinois, and we slid on the ice, and we, and we slid along the, the interstate uh, median. And uh, we sort of, you know, did a little bit of a donut. We ended up facing a semi, which was like five feet away from us. And, uh, you know, that really put my life in perspective. Uh, that day. Nobody got hurt, luckily. Um, I still have the car to this day. Um, but I think God got my attention that day. He let me know what I was getting distracted with. I was getting distracted with pleasing people and not pleasing God. You know, sometimes God has to put you through crazy experiences like that to get your attention. He may take away a good financial situation for a little while to get your attention. He may take away your good job and you might have to work a lower-end job. So he can humble you to get your attention. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but if you don't look at the warning signs that God's sending you at a certain point, God might have to take something away at a certain point, or God might put you through an experience to help you to realize that you can only rely on him and him only. So once we ask ourselves, are we being complacent? We can ask ourselves the next question. Are we looking at the end result? What are we aiming for? We look at Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. And uh, this is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The Lord of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So, even though Haggai confronted the people about their complacency, he encouraged them that there was something to shoot for. There was something to look forward to with the rebuilding of this temple. You know, Haggai reassures the people that this temple is going to show God's glory on a different level. And that gets people excited. We also see some uh, encouragement in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will, come, will yet come. And the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 
Ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you. Because we have heard that God is with you. So the Israelites get encouraged again that there's something to shoot for. There is an end result that could happen if they rebuild the temple. Word is going to get out about God's presence dwelling in Jerusalem. And people are going to want to flock to Jerusalem. Because God's glory is going to be on a totally different level. As Christians, we look at, at the end result. We look at heaven. We look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we throw off what is behind us. And we look heavenward. We focus on eternal life. And when we focus on eternal life, we don't get complacent. We don't get complacent at all. Because we're staying in touch with the Holy Spirit when we focus on heaven. We focus on eternal life. And we take care of that temple. And we get the prayer we need. We get the accountability we need. And we read the scripture that we need to read to stay in touch with the Holy Spirit. I worked at a summer camp for two summers uh, when I was in college. It was about eight weeks of camp. We uh, did many different ages. Um, our age range was anywhere from about first grade to about 12th grade. I think we had one high school week, but it was a quite a wide age range. And by about week six, the camp director would say, the, the finish line's almost here, guys. It's almost here, guys. You know, for the next few weeks, he'd always remind us, you know, the finish line's here, guys. But then he would also say this. He's like, don't just focus on stopping at the finish line. I want you to run through the finish line. And as we focus on the end result as Christians, are we going to run through the finish line? Are we going to go to heaven with momentum? Are we worried about just, you know, getting through, you know, from this life to the next, just escaping the flames? Do you want to live a life where you use each minute to glorify God? Because you were looking at the end result. I know life's going to be tough. But God's going to honor us for all the hard work. Because we will see the end result of all our hard work. Galatians 6.9 says this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest. If we do not give up. So we will reap a harvest if we don't give up with our hard work. There's a pastor in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, he was actually at uh, the Christ and Youth Conference um, this past summer that our, uh, our high schoolers went to. And uh, he has a ministry, which is also a business that he does on the side, called Legacy. And uh, he takes old pieces of wood that nobody else would want, and he restores these old pieces of wood, and he builds amazing furniture from these old pieces of wood. And he says that, that through this business, he wants to show people that even though some people may see them as nasty, and even though as sinners we are nasty, God sees us as something great. 
God sees us as something fearfully and wonderfully made. God sees us as someone made in his image. And he wants to rebuild us each and every day. And he wants to restore us to doing what we were supposed to do from the first place, which is worship him and give him the glory. So I don't know what your past is here today. Maybe some of you have never accepted Christ uh, for the first time and you want to rebuild your life for the first time. Maybe some of you have fallen away for a long time and you want to get back in the rebuilding process. here's the deal. God sees you as something fearfully and wonderfully made. He wants to mold you into something. He wants to restore you. To do what you were originally called to do. Because you were originally called to worship Him and to glorify Him. So, um, if anybody's feeling convicted this morning, um, we're going to play some music. Um, I'll stick around if anybody needs prayer. If some of our elders want to pray with some people too, um, you know. Here is the only time that you have. You can always pick up the rebuilding process again. Because God is always creating something new inside of you. People may see you as something damaged. And in reality, we're all dirty, nasty, filthy sinners in need of a Savior. But God sees us as something fearfully and wonderfully made. And He restores us to do what we were originally called to do. So if you need to make that commitment today, we want to call you to make that commitment. If you want to make a recommitment today, we want to call you to make a recommitment. But uh, I'm going to pray, and then you can have the band come up. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for this time we can come together and just uh, learn from the story from week 19. Um, I pray that uh, you would uh, convict us as we go through the rebuilding process, as we face adversity. Help us to uh, not be complacent. Help us to understand that we're always going to face adversity. Help us look at the end result. Help us stay in touch with the Holy Spirit. And if anybody in this room feels convicted today to rebuild their life, whether they're rebuilding it for the first time or whether they're you know, wanting to rebuild their life again, I pray that you would convict them and give them the strength. This next song is called uh, Give Us Clean Hands. We want clean hands and a pure heart as we go through this uh, rebuilding process. We love you and we praise you. Amen.